Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Haley Wooden. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. A little bit later on in the show, we're going to be speaking to Brian Cox. Haley, he's the new head of the BC Mining Association. Uh, You had a good chat with him on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. Yeah, he weighed in, obviously, on what the markets are doing. It's been a very, very rough couple of years for companies involved in the mining space, but commodity prices, they've picked themselves up off the floor. And overall, his sentiment is that there's some cautious optimism that things are going to look a little bit brighter for the next while. So he weighs in on that. It was a good discussion. That should be a very, very good thing to listen in on. Uh, Why don't we talk about the stuff that's been catching our eye in business news this past week or so. Haley, let's start with you. What's catching your eye in business news? Well, I've never seen so many people weighing in on tax changes. We have uh, the federal finance minister, Bill Morneau, in BC this week. He was in Vancouver for a couple of public meetings on Tuesday. And then, of course, we'll be in Kelowna for the remainder of the week for the Liberal caucus meeting. But in July, the federal government unveiled a couple of tax changes. There are three relating to private corporations and tax. So these include turning private income into capital gains, using passive investment portfolios, and then sprinkling income, which is essentially moving it to family members who are lower income earners. Now, the federal government has labeled these tax loopholes But a lot of critics are saying that it could impact small businesses, one, because of the uncertainty. Anyone who's planned the next few years out from a tax perspective may have to deal with changes. The other is that this will stifle entrepreneurship because it'll mean people will be less likely to launch out and start their own business if they're facing additional risk. It doesn't seem like a very politically wise decision at this point. I I do have to believe that they're going to come back and try to re like work this or, or figure something out that uh, is going to be much more politically digestible. I, we're really seeing you know organizations come out in full force against this. I, I, I would also point to BIV's own coverage um, over the weekend. We posted a story from a colleague, Glenn Korstrom, mm-hmm. just pointing out uh, Faculty Brewing, which is a, a craft beer brewery uh, not too far from our offices here. They had a very slow winter. It was pretty crappy weather. Uh, I think we all were accustomed yep. to that here in Vancouver. <laughs> and um, they used this passive investment income kind of as a rainy day fund, which was able to help them. Otherwise, they may have had to let people go from the job. So you definitely see that, that there are certain issues that, of course, the federal government's trying to address, but are they actually addressing it in the right way? I, I, I well, it's up for debate. Yeah. Well, they. I mean, their argument is that high income earners use these tools to essentially avoid tax. But it is clear, as you were mentioning in that story, Tyler, that there are many businesses who use them because you know business is slow, because there are individuals and they themselves are responsible for their own income, income of employees, their own financial risk. So they can be useful. We'll see where it lands. I know a lot of liberal MPs are probably going to be asking some pretty pointed questions because I think a lot of them have heard from their constituents who are concerned about what these changes mean. Yeah. I'm just curious about this income sprinkling situation here. I I think it might be a little tough to crack down on a lot of these situations. Essentially, how would auditors kind of figure, oh, well, yeah, it's a it's a family run business, but you're not a real employee. You know, you are just getting I don't know. You're you're the spouse of the real employee, and you're just getting passed on uh, some salary just so that they can get into a lower tax bracket for the business. 
Yeah, I I don't know. That's tough. And when you sort of put it like that, you could see how someone, if they wanted to make it seem like that person worked, you could probably fudge the books to make it seem like someone's more involved. I'm not advocating for that. But I think, I mean, part of the reason why these particular tax tools are being looked at is because they're maybe a little bit vague and the government wants to clean them up. I, I don't know if they can come up with a solution that's beneficial to small businesses, but also makes the policies more clear. Yeah. Well, Haley, uh, we're going to know the answer by the time this podcast is out and about, but essentially it's kind of uh, going to be a rate hike coming up. Yep. We don't know if it's going to be this week or next month, but last week's GDP numbers pretty much sealed the fact that we're going to have a rate hike this year. Had a 4.5% annualized rate of growth in the second quarter, just huge numbers. So I, I, I'm curious. I always like making bets with you, Haley. Rate yeah. hike tomorrow <laughs> or uh, this week or else rate hike later on this year, maybe in October? I don't know. It's tough. We did this last time and I was very sure we were going to see a rate hike. When we did, the markets had almost fully priced it in. And I think as it stands, they're sort of on the fence. It's a 50-50 split, it seems, at least the last numbers I saw. I don't know. I To me, if we see one now, it signals that the government Bank of Canada very much taking charge and wanting to uh, address the economy in a very forward and maybe more aggressive way. If they take a beat, to me, that signals that we know there are going to be rate hikes, but it's much, it's going to be much more calmly done, if that makes sense. I don't know if we'll see when I'm more skeptical this time around. All right. Well, I, I'm asking you, you have to, like, I have to give you, you, you have answer. to give me an answer. Yeah. Oh man. Is uh, it going to be this okay. week or later? You know what? I am going to go with later. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen this week. I think most likely Bank of Canada just, they don't have maybe the inflation pressures that they would otherwise have to worry about. So yeah, put it off until maybe October. But I think I'd be surprised if it does not happen by October. Yeah, I, I would be, I agree with you. I'm in the same boat. I also think there's generally a lot of uncertainty, whether it's softwood lumber, NAFTA, um, other issues going on, real estate too. The fact that they came out with a rate hike the first and seven years in July, I think people are maybe still adjusting that. It's not a big hike, right? But it's wrapping your head around a shift in policy. I'd be very surprised if they follow that up again two months later. Well, what's clear is that the Canadian economy can withstand a rate hike at this yeah. point. If you look at the numbers, uh, best numbers out of all the developed countries. So it makes sense as if they're finally saying, okay, now's the time to do it. Yeah, no, exactly. In retail news, the Hudson's Bay Company has actually expanded internationally for the first time in its 347-year history. And when I say expanded, that means taking the Hudson's Bay Company brand international. They opened this week a store in Amsterdam, and they're pretty bullish on their growth prospects. They expect nine more locations in the region by the end of the month and five more next year. Company's CEO noting that they saw a gap in that market for higher-end luxury stores, as well as discount chains, too. So they're moving in, and they had the opportunity, too. They acquired a, a Belgium brand not too, too long ago. They could have sort of moved that into the Amsterdam and Netherlands market, but apparently it's the Canadian brand that really resonates with people, and they're excited to get those Hudson's Bay-striped Canadiana goods. 
It's a good brand. I, yeah, I do like that aspect of the story, and that's. Uh, I, I guess the Dutch didn't really want this Belgian brand no. coming in. Uh, they're like, no, we already know it, uh, which is understandable. Like, I mean, they're about uh, populations are are comparable in size. You know, I'm sure there's a, a little bit of a friendly rivalry. We already know that brands. Uh, why bring it in? Uh, maybe. Maybe for once, Canada seems a little bit more exotic to at least uh, one country. So yeah, yeah, sounds cool. Yeah, a little. It's a little further away. I think it was seen maybe as a little bit more of an aggressive move if one of a if a chain from one of your neighbors is moving into your country versus a chain from a friendly country like Canada. Yeah. Well, did did Canadians seem so receptive to the Target brand when it moved up here? <laughs> you know. I don't know. Look around and see how many targets you see, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah you have well, your she, answer there. Yeah, maybe to uh, contradict myself a little bit, I think people were curious about Target, but I, I obviously their retail rollout strategy was pretty poorly done, which is kind of explains why we, we, as you say, Haley, we no longer see targets around these parts. No, I, there was a lot of hype about Target, and I think a lot of people went, but it's not... It wasn't quite the same as when you go to a Target in the States. The prices were different. There's more competition as well. We already have Walmart, for example, which might be comparable in terms of goods offered. So, yeah, I don't know. But a good success for HBC, which seems to be doing fairly well. Yeah. Well, stay with us. After the break, we're going to be speaking to Brian Cox from the BC Mining Association. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600 at 604-714-3600. Or else check them out on their website at manningelliot.ca. So, Haley, we've got uh, Brian Cox coming up next. Uh, you assure me that it's going to be a delightful <laughs> and insightful yes. conversation. Yeah, it's a it's a great conversation. Brian weighs in on market trends, also on how the industry has been faring in BC because it's had a fairly rough go of it. So have a listen. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We're the daily business news program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and VIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. And I'm Haley Wooden. As you know, global commodity prices, they've picked themselves up off the floor, and that has been a good thing for Canada's mining industry. According to PwC Canada, Canadian-based miners saw their aggregate market valuations soar 46% last year. And in addition to that, we're also courting more exploration dollars than any other country. Joining us now for a look at what this means for BC is Brian Cox. He's the new president and CEO over at the Mining Association of British Columbia. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be with you today. Yeah. You you inherit the organization at a really nice time. <laughs> you're, <laughs> well, you're you're not you're not like Mr. Doom and Gloom. You you're you know, you've got the cheery part of the, the It's gig, a yeah. it's an exciting time to be part of the industry for sure. That yeah. being said, I've been there for about three and a half yeah, years. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I've I've been there through the tough times that we've seen over the last few years and they have been really tough. So what what is behind the turnaround in a lot of ways? What is it just a cyclical thing, Brian, you know, where what goes down eventually goes up? 
It, it really in the mining industry it really is, and there's so many inputs uh, and you know permutations and combinations to the industry itself that to pinpoint one thing is is really difficult. But you know it is a cyclical industry, and we plan for for these cycles. The one over the past few years has been especially difficult on a jurisdiction like British Columbia, where we predominantly mine steel making coal and copper, and those mm-hmm. two commodities really took a hit over the past few years. So uh, it was a tough time for the industry. We weathered it. Uh, we're looking forward to the opportunities that we have moving forward. And, and there are a number of opportunities, uh, especially when we look at the transition to you know a lower carbon economy and what mining can provide to that. When it comes to looking forward and placing your bets on a jurisdiction, I mentioned exploration dollars. Are you seeing a lot of that in BC? You know, I'm really focusing on trying to get mines, uh, you know, operating and permitted because that really helps... <laughs> exploration come to the province because really it's about investors uh, certainty and investor confidence and when people feel that that you can come to a jurisdiction make an investment get a decision at the other end then it really helps to uh, bolster that investor confidence which leads to uh, investment across the spectrum in mining so i think if we're really able to get some uh, some permitting done uh, in an in an efficient way get some mines back up and operating that's really going to help the entire industry what are the early signs from the horgan government about its commitment to a sector like this? Really positive so far. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you see in the mandate letters for the Minister of uh, Energy, Mines, Petroleum Resources, as well as Minister of Environment and other ministers, a commitment to mining. Mm-hmm. So we're really seeing a commitment to ensuring that we do have that certainty in the province. Can you come to British Columbia, look at making an investment and get to a decision in a timely manner? Sounds really simple, but in British Columbia, of course, there's lots of you know, there's lots of inputs into that process, but really that's what it boils down to for business is that certainty of being able to, to get to a decision in a timely manner so that they can deploy that capital that we're looking to, uh, to get into this province. And in, in mining, it's significant capital. These are, this is an industry that, uh, you know, in 2016, provided $8.7 billion in GDP to the province of British Columbia, $650 million in direct payments to government. This is a significant foundational industry. We have a really uh, big opportunity to grow on that and, and to ensure that British Columbia is a leader in Canada and the world. We saw the 2017 election obviously cause some uncertainty for investors, particularly in energy and the LNG sector. What's the signal we're sending to the broader investment community when it comes to mining now that there's still some uncertainty, but at least we have an election result. For mining, we're optimistic that we can we can move forward and get to that investor certainty. In, in an industry like mining, we're, we're one that uh, obviously our operations in, are in the more rural parts of British Columbia, but importantly, our supplier jobs are predominantly in the lower mainland. So we have this opportunity in, in mining to knit that narrative of British Columbia back together to say that actually we're all interconnected and a strong mining industry means a strong Vancouver, means a strong Burnaby, Surrey, Langley, you name it. And so that's really what we're working really hard at the uh, at the association to do is to communicate the fact that this industry really touches all parts of British Columbia and we're all interconnected. I know that the association has for years worked on this, but I'm not sure the public quite apprehends the fact that uh, the mining industry really has a commitment around best practices that uh, balance uh, exploration with the environment. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what it is that the association is trying to put an emphasis on here in the time ahead to reassure the public that this is not a, uh, this is not the kind of Donald Trump coal mine image that's out there. We have an incredibly strong regulatory system in British Columbia, and it's really about communicating that and communicating industry's commitment to 
going above and beyond that as well. We have an industry that, uh, you know, that we have an opportunity right now. When you look at the transition to electric cars, when you look at the transition to clean energy, it, it takes four times more copper to build an electric motor than it does a combustion engine. It takes 100 tons of steel making coal to build one wind turbine. So that alone provides an amazing opportunity to continue doing what we're doing in British Columbia. But what we need to ensure is that we have that public trust and confidence moving forward. And it's about communicating the system that we have. So when you think about mining, it's a very robust process that starts at the exploration phase and goes all the way through to the reclamation of a mine site. The public really generally only hears and sees about the environmental assessment process. And that gets a lot of news, uh, you know, both federally and provincially. But in, the, in an industry like mining, that's almost really the start of the process. After environmental assessment, you move into mine permitting, which continues for the entire uh, life of the project and into reclamation. So what we've worked really hard to do is to communicate that permitting side of the uh, the regulatory process. And what we've done is work with the government to actually ensure that all of the inspection reports, the permits are actually online so that people can go and see them and see that how robust this process is, how many binders of information that that uh, proponents and operators are submitting and how much iterative discussion there is between Indigenous peoples, communities, governments about this industry that's continuous and ongoing. And so that's step one is really to say, hey, we're, we're doing all of this now. Can we improve upon it? Absolutely. And we want to work with communities and Indigenous peoples and governments to do that. Is there, um, is there a lesson that the industry has taken uh, that it believes is going to be applied in the future as a result of the Mount Poly situation, for instance? I think we've worked really, really hard as an industry to uh, to work on the regulatory system, but also talk more about what we do. Mm -hmm. We're an industry that's in the past, I think, stayed fairly quiet, uh, you know, when you compared to how big an impact we have in the province, you know, economically, jobs wise. And so it's really incumbent on us to get out and talk more about our industry. But on the regulatory side, what was really important coming out of Mount Pauly is that we actually um, got together um, with the government. So we had industry, First Nations, labor and government sit around a table and actually a rework the mining code when it comes to tailings in British Columbia. And that was the first time I'm aware of anywhere in British Columbia where you actually had that um, group of stakeholders around a table making a consensus recommendation to government to improve um, the already great reg regulations we have in the province. Those regulations are now in place. Other jurisdictions are following those now. So there's actually a really positive regulatory story and stakeholder engagement story uh, that's, that's come from Mount Pauly, and we're, we're looking to build upon that. We're speaking to Brian Cox. He's the president and chief executive officer at the Mining Association of BC. Do you think the general public trusts the process? Sometimes you hear conversations that, you know, it, it's clearly a rigorous process. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of conversations with stakeholders. Is there a trust issue that maybe needs to be rebuilt? That is the question, really. And it's a question of, you know, what, are the, what does the average British Columbian think? And really, they want to know that that what's happening on the land base in their province, they can feel good about. Mining is an industry that's been, um, you know, in this province since before we were even a province. In fact, a lot of the reason that British Columbia is a province is because of mining and the gold rush that we had and, and the fact that we needed to organize some system of government to deal with all the people coming in. So the, the history of mining is so long and vast in the province that, um, you know, communicating with British Columbians is is a nuanced process because there's such a history to it. So when you talk about public trust, people just need to feel that what's happening, they can believe in and feel good about and know that 
they're world leaders in. And in fact, we are and we have been. And communicating that, Haley, to your point, is is difficult because it's a technical industry. So trying to Mm -hmm. communicate technical, uh, nuanced processes to the public in a 30-second soundbite is is challenging. It really is, especially in this day and age where people have so much information coming at them. That's, much why, of we it is t- un- that's why we do 12-minute conversations. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so much yeah. of it is unsourced, the information that people are seeing, and whether it's on social media and other places. And so when we try to vector in and say, well, actually, it's this and that, you're playing catch up in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So I, I think the public trust conversation is really important for governments because in order, if you're going to inject that into the regulatory process, you really have to know what you're trying to get at before you go into it. If you open up a regulatory process saying, oh, we want to improve public confidence, well, I was trying to throw jello against a wall, and it's very tough to put that in the parameters of a, of a regulatory system. So that's our always our feedback to, to government and others is that we really need to be, you know, obviously we're always interested in improving the regulatory system. But what exactly are we trying to improve along that spectrum? I know that uh, uh, our Vancouver listenership here would, um, in the main, not be all that aware of the fact that when it goes by these buildings downtown, that they're often occupied by mining companies. That there's a lot of office space in this city occupied by the head offices or the or the uh, district offices of a lot of these places. How are you working on the relationship with the city? Because I don't think the city has necessarily uh, acknowledged the presence of a large sector like this and its generation of prosperity in the community. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Kirk, about the impact that mining has in Vancouver proper and the lower mainland generally. But we literally have hundreds of mining companies that are headquartered here in British Columbia. And importantly, uh, you know, hundreds of other lawyers, environmental companies, engineering companies, all supporting that industry. So you have a huge footprint in the city of Vancouver and beyond. For us, really, it's about making that connection between what our industry does and how it affects a city like Vancouver. And I think a big piece to that is really um, broadening the discussion around the technology industry. I think for too long, technology has been talked about like it's some siloed industry that's on its own. It, it's a tech, it's a service industry that services a multiple sectors. And in British Columbia, it services predominantly natural resource base. Mining is a technology industry. That's what we do. If you step on a mine site, you're going to be wowed at what you see from a tech point of view. So communicating that back to to city like Vancouver and the residents to show that actually we're all tied together, we're all interconnected, we need to have these strong sectors. I think for too often, and maybe it's because we're such a diversified economy, we're viewed that, well, we can do do with less of this industry if we have more of this industry. We almost view it like a a zero-sum game rather than growing the entire pie. And that's really our opportunity in BC is to grow that entire pie and do it because we're so interconnected. Are there many conversations happening between Vancouver's tech sector and the mining industry? Absolutely. There's several really important conversations happening right now, especially on the innovation side, the cluster side. So funding that's coming from the federal government as well as the provincial governments to to make certain parts of Canada hubs, if you will, towards uh, technology and innovation. Uh, absolutely really important conversations going on amongst the sectors. And you're going to see some pretty exciting things coming forward from the tech sector, the mining sector, and other natural resource sectors to really tile this together and help to communicate to uh, to people in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland what, what we do in BC and be proud of it. Interesting. Brian, a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That's Brian Cox. He's the president and chief executive officer at the Mining Association of British Columbia. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Haley Wooden. And I'm Kirk LaPointe. 
And that was Brian Cox from the BC Mining Association. Yeah, he uh, he was fairly frank in his remarks that a lot of work needs to be done. And I, I like what he said about trust and the environmental assessment process, how it is about, to some extent, re-winning or regaining public trust in that process and trying to explain and communicate it and make changes to it in a way that's pretty open. So lots going on in mining in BC. Um, and I think, as he noted too, he's focused in his role on reopening and ensuring that the projects are here, get permitted and uh, rev up and start doing business. Yeah. And if you like that conversation and can find even more, if you just follow us on say something like iTunes or Stitcher, or even uh, one of those third party apps like Overcast, for example, uh, but yeah, give us a shot. Uh, we are the BIB Podcast. Kaylee, if people want to find out more about the stories you're working on, where can they go? They can find both of our work at BIV.com. You can also connect with me anytime at Twitter. My handle is at Haley Wooden. Feel free to say hi. And I'm at Reporten. And I want to thank everyone for listening to the show this week. <laughs>